Hello and welcome to the Farmer Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock, Editor-in-Chief at Farmer Forum. Today, I'm joined by Kylie O'Keefe, Chief Commercial Officer at PTC Therapeutics. PTC Therapeutics is in the cell and gene therapy space working on rare disease treatments. Uh, those include Upstaza, the first gene therapy uh, for ultra-rare disease AADC deficiency, and Everest D, which, which treats spinal muscular atrophy that's been developed in partnership with Roche. Cell and gene therapy obviously is a huge topic right now. We heard a lot about it this year at JP Morgan. And uh, I've been looking for an opportunity to do a bit of a deep dive on these therapies and how and why they're changing the pharma landscape. So I'm happy to have Kylie here uh, for that conversation. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks for having us. So maybe just to get started, tell me a little bit about yourself and about uh, PTC and how you got involved there. Absolutely. So um, PTC is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, which is really exciting. And PTC has spent 25 years pioneering. Um, And we have become an enduring biopharmaceutical company that has strong capabilities across research, development, and commercialization. PTC was founded on the scientific platform of nonsense suppression, and that was where Translana was originally developed. Since then, we have scientific platforms across alternative spicing, bioelectrons, and also gene therapy. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Uh, From my perspective, I've spent um, over two decades in the pharmaceutical industry, um, a number of those years spent in rare disease, And obviously, um, joining PTC was a great opportunity to be able to continue that mission of helping um, particularly kids and adults with rare diseases. So we we have some variety around our listeners in terms of their R&D knowledge in their particular areas. So let's go through some of those uh, terms you mentioned, uh, nonsense suppression, uh, splicing, gene therapy. Talk to me about what those those are, how they work and, and how they're related to each other. Yeah, absolutely. So starting with uh, nonsense suppression, that's that's the uh, scientific platform that PTC was founded on. And nonsense suppression uh, is where we have a, gene, uh, a therapy sorry, for uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a uh, rare disease that has in young boys an inability to create the full length dystrophin protein, which is related to muscle. And um, in the particular focus area where Translana is, which is nonsense mutation DMD, a nonsense mutation has a stop codon that's in the mRNA that stops the ability to create a full-length dystrophin protein. And so Translana, which is uh, allows the mRNA to read through that stop codon and create a full-length dystrophin protein. And so that's the scientific platform that, that Translana was founded from. So Translana is, is a small molecule and we have a small molecule focused within a number of our different scientific platforms. From a gene therapy perspective, um, we are focused on gene replacement therapy. So in particularly rare diseases um, that previously have been thought to not be treatable, Um, we have an ability to replace a non-functioning gene through a viral vector. And in the example of Upstaza, this is through directly infusing this therapy into the brain. And Upstaza was the first uh, directly infused into the brain gene therapy that was approved in Europe 
in July of last year. The last scientific platform that I mentioned was alternative splicing, and that has a number of mechanisms across, for example, Evrisdi, which was born from this platform, focused on SMA, and also with our PTC518 compound, which is focused on treating Huntington's disease. And alternative splicing allows us to have splicing modifiers that splice introns or exons into a gene to allow it to either function appropriately. Now, in some cases, that means not producing a mutant gene. And in other cases, that means functioning in the appropriate manner in the case of SMA. So put put some of this in context for me a little bit with the sort of history of some of these, these innovations, right? I mean, do these gene therapies come out of some, you know, the CRISPR breakthrough? Um, what is it, what are some of the things that have kind of allowed us to get to, to where we are and, and in terms of the, the technology underpinning these discoveries? Yeah, absolutely. I think from, from this perspective, we've had the pleasure of having a collaboration with a number of key players in this space. In the case of Upstazer, for example, um, we were able to partner with an academic institution in Taiwan that had done some pioneering work around understanding gene replacement therapy specifically focused on treating AADC deficiency, um, which is is the, the rare disease that Upstazer treats. And so it was a collaboration between an academic institution in Taiwan and between a company that allowed this treatment to come forward. And, and obviously PTC had the pleasure of picking it up um, after the clinical trials were run and bringing it to market, working through all of the key components from a registration point of view and to be able to bring this therapy to patients. Evrisdi, on the other hand, was born out of the, the internal labs at PTC and, as you mentioned, was partnered with Roche. So the work, the pioneering work from a scientific point of view was done in-house at PTC, and this is similar with Translana as well. So talk to me a little bit about this um from the patient's perspective, you know, these rare disease uh, patients, what do they, what is this kind of, what ex- uh, opportunities does this create for them that, as opposed to the status quo? Um, what's the impact of, of these novel therapies? Yeah, this is obviously a huge step forward from a scientific point of view for, for these patient communities. I think first and foremost, gene therapies are providing opportunities to treat diseases that previously have been thought non-druggable or non-treatable. And it's bringing hope to many patient communities that in many cases has lost that hope and felt like they were being forgotten or that their diseases would never bring hope. And so I think first and foremost, that's the exciting scientific uh, endeavor that's happening with gene therapies. I think the other aspect is where whether it be children or adults with chronic rare diseases, would previously need to be on medications, whether that be daily, weekly, uh, for the rest of their lives. It's providing an opportunity to have a one-time administered therapy and see transformational changes in many cases. And so that's another aspect that's a real change for the patient community is to be able to go from thinking, I'll be taking a medication for the rest of my life, maybe daily, to I'll I'll be treated in a hospital one time and hopefully this will bring transformational changes to the disease progression. And, and I think one of the things that's really important is gene therapies are disease modifying. So they're changing the underlying cause of the disease so that disease progression is shifting in a different way and that's truly transformational. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to treatments that were maybe more 
about just the symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. I think the way that PTC focuses is is on disease modifying therapies. We focus on um, ensuring that we are increasing or decreasing protein production based on the therapeutic area through whether it be small molecule or gene therapy. But you're right, in the past, in many cases, in many of these different diseases, there's only been the opportunity for symptomatic care or palliative care. And so taking a turning a corner and having an opportunity to have a disease modifying therapy that's one time administered is a huge step forward. Now, one thing I heard a lot at JP Morgan was that there's a there's a challenge when it comes to payment models. The industry isn't really used to one time administered uh disease modifying therapies so much as they're used to sort of ongoing treatments and that's how yeah. uh, pharmaceutical uh, products are treated. So I recognize this may be a little outside your sphere, but interested in hearing sort of how you guys think about that trend as you look to kind of commercialize some of this stuff and and, and kind of build those infrastructures that are going to allow it to be both, you know, sustainable and, and profitable for the company and able to help these patients that need help at a, at a reasonable reasonable price. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that happens when there is pioneering science is there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that need to fall into place. And there's a lot of key stakeholders that need to come together to be able to understand what developing gene therapies means, what commercializing gene therapies means, and particularly payers and obviously pricing is is important piece of that puzzle. Um, So as you said, I think you know, the way that payer systems and government systems is set up around the world is not really to support one-time administered therapies because obviously the cost of a one-time administered therapy that makes a lifetime change versus a chronic therapy where you're paying every week, day, month, whatever it may be, there's a different pricing model that's associated with that. And so I think helping to educate governments, helping to understand what the difference is between the cost of a chronic therapy versus the cost of a one-time administered therapy. What are the ways that that companies can partner with governments and payers to help make sure that this is understood and pulled through and, and ultimately sharing the same common objective that we need to get these therapies to patients in need and how do we do that in a functional way. So as you said, there's a number of different pricing models that are being discussed, contracting options, and I think nobody has the right answer yet. I think it's about working together across the industry, not being one side versus another side, but being all together and in, in having that common shared objective and, and working through how to pay a systems cope with a number of gene therapies being brought to the market. So what are some of the other challenges you see working in sort of such an emerging area? Um, are, are there do you have to break new ground with things like manufacturing too or or um I mean, I guess I'll leave it, leave it open. What are some of the other, yeah, challenges? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, gene therapy truly has been pioneering across the board. So pioneering in the sense of what's required from a regulatory point of view, pioneering from what's required from a manufacturing point of view, as you said, I think that's really been um, a learning experience of working collaboratively with regulators to understand what's required for gene therapies, what's required when in clinical trials, what's required between clinical and commercial comparability, and then ultimately what's required when it's being commercialized. Um, I think pricing is and, and reimbursement is definitely an area that's that's pioneering. But I also I think just helping educate the different communities of what it means to bring a gene therapy to market. And I think understanding 
what long-term safety and durability looks like is also new to the industry, right? If you think about sort of taking a, a, a tablet over a number of years and continuing to monitor safety and efficacy, you know what's happening. Whereas taking a one-time administered therapy, you know, durability is a big question mark in this space. And that's why, particularly for Upstaza, we felt really strongly about the, the long-term follow-up period we have as we have data out to 10 years. And I think durability and safety is going to be two parts that's going to be really important as we continue to watch the gene therapy space evolve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is always a problem in in, in pharma that, you know, if you if you wait until something's been proven at the, the longest possible term, then it would take a, a lifetime for every new therapy to come out. But but the more novel something is, the more there is that concern about sort of how does this look 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. Exactly. But I suppose all you can do is is sort of have a system in place for post-market monitoring and, and just be sort of engaged with your patients and your data out in the wild. Absolutely. And I think it's about understanding what is the follow-up period that's reasonable prior to approval and then what should be done post-approval to help continue monitor safety and efficacy. And that balance is something that industry is doing with regulators. What are the guidelines around what is a reasonable follow-up period for which type of diseases? And then ultimately what can be done post-approval to monitor that, as you just alluded to. Is there anything else we we haven't talked? Oh, well, I thought of one thing already, actually. Um, (laughs) I've been having a lot of conversations lately about partnership, which I think is is something in a lot of people's minds right now in the current environment in in farmers because so much innovation is coming from smaller groups and the need to work with the larger groups to support things like commercialization. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your your work with Roche just from a from a, a business perspective. How, how has that been as a partner? What were some of the challenges there? What, what was easy about it? Yeah, I think partnership comes in many forms. Um, obviously, we are partnering with Roche on, on Everisd and Ristaplam and Roche is commercializing Everisd and has had Everisd approved in more than 90 countries. <clears throat> I think we have the the fortune of having a very good partner in Roche. Um, and that relationship has been a very positive one. Um, I think partnership comes in many forms. We partner with CDMOs when it comes to manufacturing um, across gene therapies. We partner with academics and, and universities to help bring science forward. We partner obviously with patient communities and physicians. So I think in many cases, we're partnering almost every day across every different facet of our business. There obviously are ups and downs when it comes to partnership, but I think strong communication and aligned objectives helps make sure that you're bringing the partnership together and moving in the right direction. Because I think, as I touched on earlier, we all have a common objective to bring the right therapies to patients in need as quickly as possible. And in the case of Everisd with Roche as our partner, that is definitely our common and shared objective. And I think that's helped really push the partnership forward and, and see success. The other partner that I think is also important to mention with Everisd is the SMA Foundation. They have obviously been a, a crucial and key partner to us in, in helping bring science forward in the, in the SMA community. And I think that's another example of a, a partnership with a shared objective for the, with the patients in mind. Great. Yeah. I mean, it's an, and it's important when we talk about partnerships to talk about sort of some of the different kinds of partnerships, not just uh, you know, pharma and pharma, but also working with the, with the patient focus group like that. Exactly. Um, wh- what else haven't we talked about that you think is, is an important part of the conversation around um, these, these new therapies? 
either gene therapies more broadly or um or particularly the the products you guys are working on yeah i think one of the questions that's sort of circling around at the moment is around where where is the home for gene therapy where is the most appropriate fit for gene therapy um and i think it's very much an evolving landscape i think it's evolving from a regulatory point of view i think it's evolving from a payer point of view and i think it's also evolving from its place in in sort of rare disease in the sense that I think one of the things that we do at PTC and we take a lot of pride in this is we have gene therapy as a tool in our armamentorium. So we aren't a gene therapy focused company. We also have small molecules. So we spend a lot of time thinking about what is the right tool to treat the disease. In other words, we don't just say, okay, we think this could be a good disease to try and attempt to treat. Let's just use gene therapy. But no, we sit down, we have a group together with our scientists, with our development team, with our commercial team to say, okay, what is the right tool to use in this regard? And therefore, we're very thoughtful and purposeful about where we believe gene therapy has a place for a particular disease. Um, G- PTC's gene therapy approach is is unique in the sense that, you know, we have a very targeted and specific focus around microdosing, for example. So using AADC deficiency, we're targeting the putamen, which is exactly where dopamine production occurs. So we're focusing in on the right place of where it needs to get to and we're microdosing. So we're not providing excess gene therapy in that regard. And that obviously helps. The other focus areas is um, low turnover, making sure that there's low turnover cells. So these are just some of the areas that are really, really important for us in determining where gene therapy fits for, say, a small molecule. So I think that that's an important factor. And I think the the landscape will continue to evolve in regards to that. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, that's interesting too, right? And and we've talked a lot about gene therapy. Um, is Would you class any of your therapies as, as cell therapies? And, and talk to me a little bit about that category and how much of what we've been talking about applies there too. No. So PTC does not focus on cell therapies. We're, we're exclusively gene therapy and obviously small molecule. Um, cell therapies, I think, is an interesting space. Um, I think there's similarly a lot of pioneering, a lot of innovation happening there. Um, but that's not something, that's not an area PTC is focused on. Um, well, it's, it's been really great to have you, Kylie, a very, very interesting stuff. And, and, um, I'm, I'm, it, it took us a, a little while to get this, this conversation scheduled. So I'm, I'm really glad we were finally able to connect and really exciting to hear about the different stuff you guys are working on for patients with rare diseases. Thank you so much, Shona. We really appreciate you having me and PTC and wish you all the best. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at Pharma Forum. Thanks for listening. Thank you.